Welcome to another edition of the Find Your Calling podcast. I'm Todd Wilson, the host. Each week we interview a different leader to talk about their journey of discovering their calling and the narrative backstory of how they found their calling. This week I am so excited to have Pastor Rick Warren with me. Rick is the best-selling author of The Purpose Driven Life, the senior pastor of Saddleback Church, and Rick's been a friend for a number of years. Rick, I want to just jump right in. Let's start with your definition of calling and some of your backstory of how your calling developed. Well, you know, Todd, calling and purpose really go together. They're one and the same. A purpose-driven life and living the calling, living your calling, are, are identical. In fact, I actually did a series one time called Live Your Calling, and it was on God's purpose for your life. We find that the connection between calling and purpose in one of the best-known verses of the Bible. It's Romans 8.28, where everybody knows the first part of the verse. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. But we leave off the second half, which is who have been called according to his purpose. Calling and purpose go together. Calling, it's not something that happens in the middle of your life. You may not hear it till the middle of your life, but you would not have even been created if God did not have a calling for your life. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I shaped you in your mother's womb, I knew all about you. Before you saw the light of day, I had called you. I had holy plans for you. Part of your calling actually includes who your parents were, where you were born, when you were born, your nationality, your background, all of those things that shape your life actually fit into your calling. And part of discovering your call is to discover your shape. And so in my own personal case, I was born in a pastor's home. My mother and my father were devout Christians. Uh, My dad was a church planter. I grew up watching my dad plant churches all over, and so from a very very early age. uh, There's a picture uh, of me taking my first steps, and I'm actually carrying my dad's Bible. And she said, you know, one day you just picked up your dad's Bible and started running with it. She said, you didn't even walk. You just started running. And that's a pretty famous picture in the Warren family. And they said, you've been running with the Bible ever since. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, er early on, I was taught to love the Lord. People talk about, well, you know, I went through a rebellious period. I have to say I didn't. I've loved Jesus all my life, and the calling that he had on my life just got clearer and clearer. But at every stage of your life, God is calling you to do something at that stage. A lot of people confuse their job with their call. They're not the same. You might have multiple different jobs. In fact, you will. And they all could be in the middle of God's calling in your life. The calling of God has more to do with what you become than what you do. It's an important thing. You know, in Romans 8.30, which is just a couple of verses under that uh, Romans 8.28, it says that those God predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And though he justified, he glorified. Calling is a part of the whole salvation experience. You can't be saved without being called. Now, that word... In the Greek word, the word for called is actually the word kaleo, used over 100 times in the New Testament. And it's actually used 10 times more than the word purpose. It'd be actually more biblical to talk about the called-driven life than than the purpose-driven life. The Latin word, obviously, is the word vocation, which we get, you know, voce, which is voice, and calling and vocation, saying that we weakened that word vocation to mean career, but it's far, far more than your career. So, you know, the early days of my life, I grew up in a pretty happy home, in a Christian home. And uh, actually, when I was 12 years old, 
I remember uh, being in a vacation Bible school, and whoever was speaking that day, I remember specifically hearing God's call in my life that he wanted me to be a pastor, to be a preacher at 12 years of age. I remember going out during kind of the recess of vacation Bible school and telling a friend, I, I think I'm supposed to be a pastor. And what was interesting is at the end of that day, at the end of the vacation Bible school, I told that pastor, but I remember he goes, oh, that's great. And he was, it was a very small rural country church. And this man, pastor did not have a big education. And so he, he did all the things wrong with me. And he said, well, we need to start lining you up to speak on a Sunday. Now I'm 12 years old. That scared a 12-year-old kid to death. And so over the next six or seven years, I, I kind of ran the other direction because it actually scared me to actually think, oh, I have to publicly speak. It was years later, I actually thought I was going to go into politics. In fact, when I was a sophomore in high school, I received an appointment to be a Senate page in the United States Senate. And uh, I had been involved in student government. I was class president every year, student body president from like junior high till freshman year of college. And, and I, I was just interested in, in making a difference. And so I thought, well, I'll go into public service. But the more I watched this, the more I realized that you don't really change people's laws, you change their hearts. That you can make a law that says that outlaws bigotry, but it's not going to turn a bigot into a lover. Only Jesus can do that. And and so ultimate change happens happens in the heart. But when I was getting ready to go to the, to uh, move to Washington D.C., my sophomore at the end of my sophomore year of high school. I got a, a note that said, you're coming at the end of summer, uh, not at the beginning. And during that summer, in the summer of uh, 1970, I got a job as a lifeguard at a Christian camp. And I was responsible for washing dishes at all the meals, lifeguarding in the afternoon, and running the campfire service in the evening. And it was there. I actually saw genuine Christians for the first time that, that had a joy about them that I, I didn't understand. And I go, I, I don't know what they've got, but, but I want it. And I remember uh, going back to my cabin there in the mountains and getting down on my knees one night. And I said, God, if there is a God, I, I want to know you. I want to be close to you. And here I am, whatever you want. I, I surrender myself fully to you. And you know what happened in that moment? was nothing. <laughs> I mean, I didn't feel any emotion. Uh, no angels came down and flapping their wings. There was no shining light. My hair didn't turn white like, uh, you know, Charlton Heston when he has his moment with God. It, it was pretty much a matter-of-fact attitude uh, adjustment change. But that was actually the first uh, transitional point in my life is in that Christian camp uh, in Northern California up in the Redwoods where I totally surrendered myself to God's call, whatever it would be. And at that point, I had no plans at that point to be a pastor. And I remember uh, my dad had actually been on the, the faculty of the seminary. And I had, so he had a lot of professor friends. And I remember a professor actually wrote me, this young teenager, and said, you know, dear Ricky, he said, I, I've heard that you have surrendered yourself to the call of God, whatever it may be. And the professor wrote in this note to me, said, the one piece of advice I would have to say to you is don't box yourself in. The call of God means far more than being a missionary or being a pastor or being on the staff of a church. Uh, everybody is called, and 
there, you, in your life, you may do a number of different things that will all be in the will of God, in the call of God, and in the purpose of God for your life. That was the best advice I ever got. Because after that, all of the things that I did were so different. Uh, at one point, I was a writer for a Christian organization. At one point, I was a youth pastor. At one point, I actually planted a church, helped plant a church in Nagasaki, Japan, moved to Japan, lived there. At one point, I... So I worked at Inner City. At another point, I actually taught in a Christian college. All of these things long before I became a senior pastor of a church. And in each one of those, I was God was using me. Each one of them, I was in the center of God's call. And, and so I would say to people that the call is far more broader than, than you realize, and it's really more about what you become than even uh, what you do. It does involve what you do. But it's more about what you're becoming while you're doing. God's always more interested in why you do what you do than what you do. So you're a sophomore in high school at that point? Yeah. Uh And then fill in the gap there coming out of the camp. You surrender yourself to God's call, but there's not clarity yet on what it is. So yeah, what I, what, here's the important thing that I would say. Instead of praying and asking God for a great ministry or a significant ministry. Just make whatever you're doing at that moment significant. Make it a significant ministry. So at that point, I was still in high school. And so what I did is my ministry became the high school. And I went back to high school from that summer at that camp. And I began carrying a Bible to to school with me, and I began to sharing my faith and witnessing to friends. And I still have this Bible, so a good news New Testament. And inside the front cover, I would write the friends, boys and girls, the two different columns that did not know the Lord. And I would begin to pray for them every day. And then when they would come to Christ, I would mark their name out there and write it down on another list as, as a new believer. And as many of my friends, I just started sharing my faith. That's all I was doing. And many of them came to Christ. And so we decided, well, let's start a Christian club. And so uh, we started a, a Christian club called Fishers of Men. It soon grew to be the largest organization club on the high school campus. I went to school with about 3,000 high school students. It was a big school. And all of a sudden, we literally had a, a spiritual revival break out on our campus where hundreds and hundreds of kids came to Christ. The head of the English department came to Christ through this spiritual revival that was started among the students. So he started teaching a class called the Bible as Literature three or four periods a day. He couldn't preach in it, but he'd say, okay, read this passage, John 3, and he said, now what do you think? And we planted Christian kids in each campus. They said, well, here's what I think it means. My senior year, we canceled the senior play and did a Christian musical on campus for the whole school. I went to the principal, and he said, we want to give a Bible to every kid on campus who will take one. He said, no, we're not going to let you do that. And so we took him to court. And we actually went to the attorney, all the way up to the attorney general of California, and the attorney general ruled in our favor. I got the Gideons to give us like 3,000 Bibles. We gave a Bible to every kid on campus. Now, I don't think you could do that today. But this was the kind of thing that was happening, and I had always been an activist, And here's an important thing. What you're shaped to do determines your calling. So I had always been a leader. Now I was just leading for Christ. When I was a freshman in high school, I led 600 kids to cut school one day and march on the courthouse. I still have a picture of me on the front page with 600 kids who cut school 
I don't even remember what the issue was, but I've just always been a leader. And so now when you start following God's calling, God doesn't slow you down. He just changes your direction. And so now I'm using the gifts, the talents, the natural way that I think for the Lord. Paul's a clear example of this. You know, he was an activist then for, against Christianity, then became an activist for the cross. So high school was a pretty important years in those last few years where I began to lead other high school students, and that was my ministry while I was going to school. Well, word got out about this spiritual revival that was breaking out in this high school in Northern California, and all of a sudden, it's, the stories of it are showing up in newspapers and magazines, and I started getting calls from uh, other students across the nation saying, hey, can you come help us? We'd like to do this at our school. How, how do we have a spiritual revival in our school? How do we start a Christian uh, club and, and uh, to take over our campus for Christ? This was right in the middle of what was called the Jesus Movement. And God was working in a lot of different places, not just where we were, but it just was one of the places where God's Spirit was moving and during the Jesus Movement. And that began to be big news all over America. And so I start getting invited to speak at other churches. And I gingerly began to do that. And the more I did it, the more other people would say, well, I want you to do this. And so then I got invited to speak at a California State Evangelism Conference. There's about a thousand churches that were coming together. And they'd asked me to come and talk about student evangelism. Here's a high school student just telling the story of what God had done in our campus. Well, after that, so many churches came up and said, could you come and, and speak at our church, do a youth meeting, do an evangelistic series, do a, a rally for us, that I literally could fill up the rest of the year. And I was in the middle of my senior year. This is in January of my senior year in high school. And I go, hmm, maybe I should do this. So I called my mom, who happened to be the school librarian in the high school that I was uh, going to, and I said, can you figure out how many more credits I need to graduate? And this was mid-year my senior year. And my mom looked it up, and she said, well, Rick, you, you've already got enough credits to graduate. I said, great, I'm graduating right now. And so I literally resigned as student body president. And in my senior year of high school, the second half of the year, the next nine months, I did full-time church evangelism, going from church to church, speaking in churches. And by the time I was 20 years old, I had already preached in like 120 churches. Now, I couldn't have planned that, but it was just being willing to do what God wants you to do. And if you go through an open door, then God will open another one. And so for those who are listening right now, whether you are a member of a church or a pastor of a church on staff, one of the most important things is courage. You've got to have courage to follow your calling. That And that that's the faith element. And if you have the courage to launch out into the deep, you'll find things that you could have never imagined in your life. In Second Chronicles 16.9, it says, uh, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose hearts are perfect toward him. In other words, who, who want to do God's will. I used to think that God just arbitrarily chose who he was going to use, and he's going to say, looks out on the crowd, says, well, I'm going to use that guy, and I'm going to use that guy, and I'm going to use her. But the rest of you, tough luck. I don't believe that anymore. I, I don't believe that. I think the Bible says God is looking for people to use, and if you get usable, he'll wear you out. 
Now, it's not going to be the way he used me. I guarantee you it won't be the way he used me because every calling is unique uh, and every calling is, is a gift from God. You don't deserve it. It's just, it, it is by God's grace he has called you. The Bible says, called you to become his people. Well, Rick, at that point, you're a senior in high school. And now, how did you decide in terms of college at that point? Was it just a slam dunk? You knew exactly what you would go do? No, I actually, even even when I was still in high school, even though I was doing literally full-time, full-time ministry as a uh, graduating senior, I went back for the graduation in June, and they actually let me preach at my graduation, which was kind of fun. <laughs> and they changed my name from student body president to student body pastor. <laughs> <laughs> so... Then, uh, by that time, I had realized, you know what, I lost all interest in politics. I lost all interest in anything else. I just, once once I started seeing lives being changed, people want to know what makes me tick. I'm addicted to change lives. And all I need is to see one person's life change, and I'm good for another week or two. It's just the transformation of watching Christ work in a life just so addicting to watch. So... Then uh, I began to uh, look around. I had been recruited by uh, University of California at Berkeley to come there. I had a good free ride there. It wasn't full free ride, but it was uh, scholarships. And uh, I had looked at some other schools. I ended up at a very small Christian school in Southern California. And, again, I just kind of hit the ground running. I just said, Lord, whatever you want me to do. And at one point, I left and moved to Japan and helped plant a church. Kay, actually, Kay and I got engaged, and right after we got engaged uh, in Southern California, she moved to Birmingham, Alabama to work in an inner-city uh, black church, and I moved to Nagasaki, Japan to work there. So our entire engagement, we were apart from each other, which is not a very good idea. But the thing people need to remember about calling is that it's a gift from God, and when you do what you're called to do, you go, this is it. It feels good. All of a sudden, you're in your zone, and, and there, there's two signs that you're in your zone that you're doing your calling. You're fulfilled, and you're fruitful. Now, some things you can be fruitful at, but you don't feel fulfilled at it, then that's not your calling. I mean, there's some stuff I'm good at, but I don't like to do it, so that's not my calling. And there's some stuff I like to do, but I'm not good at it, you know, and that's not my calling. For instance, when I actually started in ministry, I started not speaking, but I actually started as a worship leader. Uh, I had played guitar and actually drums and had a garage band when I was in high school. And when I started in ministry, I was actually recruited to be a worship leader. And I love to sing. It's just nobody likes to listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I was fulfilled in it, but I wasn't, I wasn't fruitful in it. So I quickly moved from music to, uh, to message. And so here's the important thing that I would say about calling. You're never going to learn it by reading a book. You're never going to learn your calling by taking a test. Hmm. There is no test you can take that will show you your calling. The only way you can learn your calling is by experimentation. You actually have to get out and do it. I mean, back when I was uh, a young man, uh, they used to have a lot of these gift tests, the spiritual gift tests, and they were kind of the rage in those days. And I remember taking a spiritual gift test early after I'd really given my life to Christ. And uh, I went through all this, and it came up. The only test, the only gift that I had was the gift of martyrdom. (laughs) (laughs) 
I go, oh, great. That's the gift you you only get to use one time and it's over. Okay. And, and, and you only get to use it on the last day of your life. Now, I could have taken a, a hundred spiritual gift tests and never knew that I would gift, was gifted at teaching because I had never done it. I had never done it. And all the tests and all the books, I would have never done it. But, you know, I just start trying different things. And when you do what you're called to do, other people will notice. And often they will notice your calling before you do. And in fact, they'll come to you and they'll say, hey, you know what you're good at? And they'll affirm you. Because a lot of times when you're good at something, when you're gifted, when you're shaped, as we talk about it in Purpose Driven Life, when you're shaped uh, to serve God in a certain way and fulfill your calling, you're so good at it, you don't even realize how good you are. And you think everybody else is good. They're not. Like if you're a natural organizer, you think everybody's organized. They're not. And if you are good with animals or you're good with mechanical things or you're good with music or you're good with, you know, whatever, creativity, art, you think they're not. And so often other people will notice your calling before you do, which I would say, by the way, to those who are pastors and leaders and even parents who might be listening, one of the most powerful things you can do that God will use you to do for the kingdom of God is to point out giftedness and calling in other people who may not see it. Some of the most powerful words you can say to, to a young man or a young woman is, hey, you know what you're good at? And I've noticed you're good at this. And when, when you talk, people listen. Or when you write that, people read it. And when, or when you, when you do this, it makes a difference. And that gives people permission to go after their calling, because other people will usually see it in you before you see it in yourself. You know, Rick, I can completely affirm every life plan I've ever done and every one of these podcast interviews I've done, every person, there are people in their lives who said one sentence, one word of affirmation, just one right thing at the right time that in some yeah. cases changed the trajectory of people. Well, and, one of the things that you need to realize is that your calling is connected to other people. You're never just called in a vacuum. The Bible says that, you know, we're one body with the same spirit, and we've all been called to the same glorious hope. The Bible talks about how we're holy partners in a heavenly calling. There are a lot of verses that talk about that we're better together, and we actually discover our calling in community, which is why if you really want to discover what your calling is, I have two very practical suggestions. Uh, number one, get in a small group where people can actually get to know you because they will notice things that you don't notice in yourself. You need to get a small group and just start serving in a ministry. A lot of people are sitting out there waiting for God to send a banner in the sky to tell them what they're supposed to do with their life. And it's not going to happen. Stop looking for a vision and, and just start looking for a verse in the Bible and then just start serving and try something, you go, well, that, you know, I'm just going to go serve in children's ministry in my church. And you do that for a while, and go, well, that's not me. And then maybe you say, well, I'm, I'm going to go help with, uh, you know, music ministry. I'm going to go help with ushers. I, I'm going to, I'm going to, a hundred different things you could try. And uh, we, we don't call these failures, we just call them experiments. The only way you know what you're good at is to try stuff. And I even do this with staff. We rarely hire a staff member at Saddleback Church for a specific position. What I do is I look for the best all-round Christian person, a strong, godly Christian woman, a strong, godly Christian man who has some leadership skills, 
and then I'll bring them on staff, and oftentimes we'll repot them three or four times until they find out, oh, this is where I ought to be. In fact, I had this conversation yesterday with a guy on my staff who's been there, been on my staff seven years, and he just started in a new ministry. He's been there for about, you know, four months, and he goes, Rick, this just isn't me. Well, fine. It's not a problem with him. It's a problem with, with me getting him into the right spot where he is, he is fulfilled and he's fruitful. And so just try stuff out. God can't steer a parked car. You got to be moving. Okay. So if you're listening and you're waiting to know what's by calling, just start moving. Just go to your church this weekend and volunteer to do something. And the very fact that you start moving, God can direct you to the right or to the left and things like that. But he's not going to direct you if you're sitting waiting for a sign in the sky. Rick, that is great advice. Let me press into something you said and get your advice on it. You, you said when a person is in the zone of their calling, they're both fulfilled and fruitful. We kind of live amidst restless discontent, where even believers yeah. are just restlessly discontented. So. Let me ask you this, for the person that's listening, and I'm going to press into the vocational side for a second, sure. they're fruitful, they're they're producing good results where they're at, Yeah. but yeah. they're not fulfilled. They're feeling that restless discontent. They're feeling like there's something more. It's yeah. one thing inside the church to do the trial and error with, well, try children's ministry, well, try the greeting. What do you say to the person that feels like vocationally they're not living at the sweet spot of, say, their calling. You know, they're fruitful but not fulfilled. Right, right, right. Well, first place, there is, God never intends for you to be 100% fulfilled by your job because you weren't put on this earth simply for a job. Job's important. Uh, vocation, uh, your career is important. It puts food on the table. When you look at your job, when we talk about God's five purposes for your life, a job is a place to grow spiritually, to develop character. A job is a place to practice your ministry, to serve other people. Uh, a job is a place to share your faith, uh, evangelism. A job is a place to fellowship with other Christians. Even a job is a place to worship. You can Your work can be worship when you do it as unto the Lord. As the Bible says, do everything as unto the Lord. But your job will never fulfill 100% of your life because... God wants you to be fulfilled, not through just your job, but also through other things in life, like your ministry in the body of Christ and your mission in the world. Everybody needs a ministry to believers, and everybody needs a mission to unbelievers, regardless of what my job is. Now, I'm not saying stay in a job that, that is not, you know, you may be in a job that you're a six-cylinder or an eight-cylinder person, and your job's only using two cylinders. Well, granted, you, you do need to look for a job that will use more cylinders. And, and still, the best book on that is What Colors Your Parachute. Richard Bowles, who is a Christian, puts out a new version of that book every year. And, and that's a good thing. Sometimes you can take baby steps in a career transition. It doesn't mean you have to automatically just leave your career. You can experiment on the side. You can moonlight. You can, you know, take little baby steps and try other things. But even still, you will never have a job that takes away all of your frustration, because every job has frustration in it. Even pastors have frustrating parts of their jobs, obviously, and where you're completely fulfilled, because God doesn't want you to be completely fulfilled by your job. So first thing, before you start changing jobs, is say, maybe I need to be involved in a ministry 
in addition to my job, uh, besides my ministry at work, that's here on the side where I will find fulfillment. And as I say, uh, we define ministry to the body of Christ and mission to uh, the world, and you need both. Jesus said that I gave them a mission in the world even as you gave me a mission in, in the world. So don't expect your job to ever completely fulfill you. It's not going to. Well, Rick, I want to also press into one other thing that you made a distinction on. This idea, it's more about who we become than what we do. Oz Guinness, a mutual friend, talks that some historians have talked about a primary calling and a secondary calling, that more, normally the yeah. Bible talks about the primary of common to all Christians everywhere all the time. We're to be children of God who honor him in all things wherever we are. Or you might say we're to yeah. be disciples who make disciples where we are. So we've got that common calling where... The becoming is very clear, becoming more like Jesus part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I want to press into the unique or secondary part of the calling for a minute, where right. sure. I think we also have a unique identity of who we are, and then, uh-huh. there's, and then there's the things we do and the places we do them. So let me use your life and your example on what I'd call this be-do element, you know, who I am yeah. versus what I do. Yeah, yeah. And when I look at the storyline of your life, there's words that jump out. Activist, leader, influencer, entrepreneur. In other words, at one point, you think you want to go into politics, but in reality, at the core is influence, activism, advocating. The core elements are there. If we continued on through your story, we didn't get to the part of you being a writer, writer's influence. Youth pastors, it's about as influential as you get. I think it's really clear in your story, you had a whole lot of different do's, things you were doing, but they really do point back to a story of some common elements of who your unique identity is. Absolutely. And and absolutely. Of course, we call this in Purpose Driven Life, call it your shape, that there are five things that make you you, that make you unique. Nobody else in the world is shaped like you. You have a unique thumbprint, you have a unique eye print, you have a unique voice print, you have a unique footprint, and even as you have a unique heartbeat. You know, did you know that your heartbeat actually beats different from everybody else's? And that's true also emotionally. You have an emotional heartbeat. Some things turn you on and others bore you to tears. Some things wind your crank and some things you couldn't care less about. Well, let me take those two uh, polls that you were just talking about. We all have a common calling. And we all have a unique calling. Now, the common calling is five things. We're called to be loved, uh, which is, the Bible tells us that, that's salvation. Uh, we're called to become, which is discipleship. We're called to belong to God's family. Uh, we're called to bless others, that's our ministry. And we're called to be sent, that's our mission. We all have that in common. Let's talk about, as you said, that unique part of you. Whatever that is, is going to show up even early in your life. For instance, I know God has not called me to be a metropolitan opera singer because I'm not gifted. I'm not shaped to do that. So God would not call me to do something he is not gifted, shaped me, wired me to do. And if you look back in your life, you will see common patterns. For instance, when I was a, a little boy, I collected everything. I collected stamps. I collected coins. I collected rocks, I collected shells, I collected 
National Geographic's old magazines. I collected every one of them from 1900 to, to about 1963 uh, of those. I collected horseshoes, on and on and on. And what was fulfilling about that, when I go back and look at that, it wasn't the having more and more of those things that I liked. It was the categorizing and classifying that felt good to me. And I go, that goes with this, and this goes with that, and that goes with And even at an early age, I was a classifier and categorizer. And I go, hey, that color goes with this, and that does with this. And, and I, I just saw, I saw connections, I saw patterns. And even as a little boy, I was a collector, a categorizer, and a synthesizer. Now, I have been doing that now in 40 years of ministry. I now collect ideas and categorize them and synthesize them. Yeah. And I have the ability to read widely and get things from science and from politics and from geography and from history and from art and from culture and all these things and put them all together and go, that goes with this, that idea goes this. And by the way, here's the order they go in, and here's the simplest way to say it. That is a skill I start having showing up as a little boy in my life. I just do it now with ideas, and they come out every week in sermons. And then people go, you know, Rick, you make it sound simple, but it's easy. Well, you try it. (laughs) If you're not wired to do it, it's very difficult for you. Now, on the other hand, don't put me under the hood of a car because I couldn't possibly do anything mechanical. Don't even ask me to be good at sports because I'm very uncoordinated. God intentionally doesn't give anybody all the gifts, so we need each other. And and so there are areas that I'm a complete failure in, uh, and I'm just not supposed to be that. So really, on the unique part, that's where you have to really study uh, your shape. What am I gifted at? What am I? What's my heart, my natural uh, passions, the things that turn me on? What are my natural abilities? You know, am I good with math, numbers? Am I good with people? Am I good with animals? Am I? And then personality. Do I like routine or variety? Do I like to work in a group or do I like to work alone? Am I an early riser or am I a late riser? These are all part of the package that shape you to be you. And in architecture, uh, they have the saying, they say, uh, form follows function. And they say, okay, tell me what you want the building to do. That's the function. And then I'll tell you how to form it. So in architecture, form always follows function. Tell me what the purpose of the building is, what you want to accomplish with it, then I'll tell you what to form. With human beings, it's the exact opposite of architecture. Function follows form. The way you are shaped by God, the natural uh, abilities, and even the natural desires. People say, what's God's will for my life? I say, what do you want to do? Really, what do you want to do? Where do you think you got those desires? Well, I've always dreamed of, you know, well, that might be a good indication of where God wants you to go. Where, Where do you think you've got those natural desires? So the more you are able to discern your patterns in life, the clearer that unique vision is going to become true of your calling. And again, go back and look and say, where was I fulfilled and where was I fruitful? And Rick, if I go back to if God's the author, if God uniquely formed us, and now we want to try to get in sync with the function that goes along with that unique form, if I look across the different domains of life, my personal relationships, my family, my work, my church, my community... Earlier, we talked about you can't necessarily get perfectly aligned in the vocation because it's just one piece. But should it be our goal in all those domains of life that if we're uniquely formed 
to try to get the function. I mean, I could use your fulfilled and fruitful words. It's when your yeah. form and your function line up uh-huh. that you're going to be fulfilled and fruitful. Here's the point. Life is too short and life is too precious for you to waste it in a job you're not shaped for. Now, fortunately, we live in America. This is a question you couldn't even ask this question in most of the world. Right. They don't have any choice on what they're going to do. If you live in South Sudan, you're not out there going, hmm, what career would I like? This is a question that only wealthy Americans, and if you live in America, you're wealthy. The poorest of the poor are wealthy compared to the rest of the world. We can ask the question, and we do have the freedom to switch jobs. We're not in slave trade. We're, we're not in sex trafficking. We're not into forced labor. So because we have that freedom, with freedom comes responsibility, and it's a stewardship that I should not waste my life in a job that isn't making a difference. You know, it can even go back to, you know, the old Steve Jobs question of John Scully, who was president of Pepsi, and, and when he challenged him to become a CEO of Apple, he said, look, do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugar water, or do you want to change the world? Well, that's a stewardship question, and obviously Scully bought that and then became, uh, you know, CEO of, of Apple. And I would say to you, if somebody's listening right now and they go, I hate my job, then I tell you something. This is not God's will for you to stay there because you're not, nobody's holding a gun to your head. Well, I, I might have to take a reduction in salary. You might. But your fulfillment and your fruitfulness and the stewardship of your life is more important than how much money you make. Well, I've had many, I mean many, maybe 80, 100 CEOs at Saddleback Church who have turned down promotions because they didn't want to leave because they felt like their ministry here was greater than the profitability of a promotion and a, uh, a bigger paycheck, or they wanted their kids to grow up in children's ministry, student ministry, etc. There were other values. There's some things more important. So uh, that's where I come back to the courage issue, uh, Todd, is that the Bible says, according to your faith, it will be done unto you. The Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. The Bible says, whatever is not of faith is sin. If you can't do your job where you're at work in good faith, then you need to get out of it at whatever the cost. And if it costs personally, so well, I, I might lose my house. You might. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Get in, get in a job that fits your shape and get in a place where you, maybe you're in a job that you have no time for ministry. Your job requires 100% of your energy. God never intended for you to give 100% of your energy to a career. Your life is bigger than that. You have a family, and you don't want to lose a family. You have a ministry to believers, and you have a mission in the world. Well, Rick, this has been amazing. So many words of wisdom. I, I feel personally blessed and challenged at the same time, so I want to thank you for being with us today. Well, uh, God bless you, and I hope these words are helpful, and I would encourage everybody to continue listening to this podcast because uh, this is an important theme. There's nothing more important than for you to be in the center of God's will and to fulfill the calling that God has given you. You are called by God, and as I started out in this podcast, that that is a call you do not want to put on call waiting. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you, Rick. All right. Thank you, Todd. These interviews and the Be Do Go framework that I use are based on my book, More. You can learn more about the book, More, at www.more-book.com.